0: Welcome to Uni Church. I'm Rowan, one of the pastors here. Uh, and to, again tonight, if you have questions, you'll see a number come up on the screen. You can text your questions through out of that number, and we'll spend a bit of time at the end of tonight's passage unpacking those. Something to look forward to. But as we come to God's word, we really do have a great privilege because God promises to work through His word to change us by His Spirit through His word. And so, what we need to do now is actually ask God to keep changing us tonight, wherever we've come from, whatever our background is. To Ask Him to speak by His Spirit to us. So why don't we do that? Let's join with me. Lord God, tonight, you you know what our weeks have been like. You know the ups and downs of life. But we're so thankful that you don't remain silent. That you promise that through your word, your word recorded in history and, and given to us here tonight, that you will change the hearts and minds of those who hear it. You promise that your word never returns empty. And so tonight, by your Spirit, we ask that you would show yourself to us your Spirit would fix our eyes on, on, on who you are and the way that you've acted throughout history and that we would see ourselves as you see us and we would see your world as you see it. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, have you ever had one of those experiences in life where with just a few words or the tiniest bit of information, your view of some situation or event gets turned totally on its head? Will you work out, oh, had it wrong. The classic movie moment is those four words Darth Vader spoke to Luke Skywalker. You might know them. Hopefully, you've you've seen Star Wars. If you haven't, I'm sorry. Um, Everyone hated Darth Vader. Darth Vader is this horrible man with a horrible voice, like, like, no one likes that. No one likes that. And people want to see Vader dead until at the moment that Luke Skywalker is there, and maybe he's about to take him off, take him out, these four words come out of Darth Vader's mouth towards Luke Skywalker. I am your father. Now, if you haven't seen Star Wars or The Empire Strikes Back, I'm sorry, I just ruined it for you. Um, but you've had 22 years to watch it, so that, that's, that's just too bad. Now, apparently, that twist, that plot twist where everyone wanted him dead, then suddenly, does Luke kill him? Does he not? He's my dad. Ah, There's that moment there. It was such a secret on the set of uh, Star Wars movie, no one knew the twist. In fact, when the actor who was playing Darth Vader said those words, I'm your father, he didn't actually say those words on the set. He said, Obi-Wan killed your father. They didn't even tell him. So no one knew except just the moment uh, that um, Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, came out onto the set. The moment before he walked out on the set to shoot that scene, they whispered it in his ear to say, this is actually what's happening and it will be overdubbed later on, so he could respond correctly. And they said, if you tell anyone, we'll know it was you, because you're the only one that knows. (laughs) There are moments in life where something happens, and it flips your view on everything. Uh, My take is you've probably had some of those moments. If you haven't, you will, let me assure you. There's a moment that comes along, and you realize you've gotten something just totally wrong. And everything you previously held, the way you viewed the world or the situation, just... Gets dismantled and turned on its head. Uh, a situation like that happened to me uh, when I was, before I was dating Sarah. S- Sarah and I met in high school, high school sweethearts, right? Aww. We hated each other. Like literally, we, we hated each other for at least the first four years of high school. And then we became good friends. And you know, I wasn't interested in dating Sarah. Sarah wasn't interested in dating me. We were like, no, no, no way at all. In fact, I, she was a good friend and I was chatting to her about who I should date. So, you know, you don't do that to someone you're going to date. You, you, you don't, you, if you want like them, you don't say, which one do you think I should date? I don't, maybe she had a plan. Maybe her plan was to say, none of them, me. I don't know. <laughs> but I I didn't kind of go, yeah, I, I really want to date Sarah at all. Until we're at a winter sleepout together. Uh, we're at this winter sleepout with our youth group uh, in 1997, the same year The Empire Strikes Back came out, funnily enough. <laughs> 1997, at this winter sleepout in youth group. And I saw Sarah chatting with a mate of mine, and I kind of overheard, and I'm like, actually... She's really good. I, she's really adventurous. I really like her, and my view of Sarah just kind of flipped on its head. I don't know what it was. I was like, actually, I reckon I might like you, and everything changed. And the rest is history. Four kids later, eighteen years of marriage. It's exciting. But there you go. As as we get to Acts nine, we come across one of the biggest plot twists in history. But this isn't just like a mere story with a great narrative twist at the end that we're like, oh wow, that was great, but is actually, it has a profound effect for every single person who hears the news of what happens in this event from history. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, come with me. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that is Christianity, trusting Jesus, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now Saul Saul was a, a Jewish extremist. He was like the Jew of Jews. He, he was so zealous for keeping the Jewish faith, zealous for God's name, that when people started to follow this man called Jesus from Nazareth and think that he was God, he was infuriated. He was so angry for God's name and for the Jewish religion that he wanted them wiped out. He, he, he was so Frustrated! How dare anyone profane the name of God by worshiping this man Jesus, as if he's risen from the dead, as if he is who they claim him to be? Saul had this intense hate for Christians out of a love for God and His name. So he would do all that he legally could do to have Christians exterminated. Luke tells us that he he breathed out murderous threats. In the same way you and I breathe the air in and out of our lungs, so Saul breathed hate towards those spreading the name of Jesus. Now, he wasn't a psychopath. He just put his money where his mouth was. He just really believed that the Jewish God, the God of the Jews, was the true and living God and that Jesus wasn't any part of that. And it's not the first time that we meet Saul in the book of Acts. Uh, We met him in Acts chapter 7, when, if you remember, there was a man named Stephen who had just been proclaiming to the, the Jews about Jesus and who he was and that he rose from the dead. And they dragged him out. And started to throw stones at him and killed him. And as they did that, the people who were throwing the stones laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. He was the one standing there approving it, saying, yes, kill this man who's spreading this horrible news of this man, Jesus. Then we get to Acts 9, where we are today. And he's not only approving Christians, the killing of Christians. He's getting letters from the high priest. He's giving permission to gather the Christians from, from the synagogues, the, the Jewish churches in, in Damascus, which is a, a long way north, and arrest them to bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, <coughs> excuse me, you, you've got to know a little bit of geography to, to understand how much Saul hates Christians. See, Damascus is like 330 kilometers north from Jerusalem. That's a long way away. It's like a five-hour drive if you had a car. Now, Paul didn't have a car, and so that's a five-day walk. Can you imagine that? enough hate to see you walk five days straight to gather people who are gathering together in the synagogues up in Damascus, which is modern-day Syria, to say, I want to bring you back so you can suffer the consequences of what you've done. Can you imagine being that angry that for five days you walk with the fumes coming out your nostrils? Kind of like, I'm so angry with what they're doing. I'm going to get them and bring them to justice. He was like the hunter looking for his Christian prey, trying to exterminate this horrific message that Jesus of Nazareth could be God. Now, I don't know what your view of Jesus is today. As you've come along here to church, I gather that you think, you probably expect that we think Jesus is important. Uh, but it's worth reflecting for you. Who is Jesus to you? And I guess there's a spectrum of responses that we can have. From from down this end here, where Jesus is just a nobody, he's a myth that doesn't really affect me at all, so maybe then a little bit further along and we go, well, maybe maybe actually Jesus is a nobody, but maybe maybe it's so really wrong for people to believe in Him that you're angry at the world. And you think Christians are, is the biggest kind of, um, kind of cult out there, that they're trying to take people on and, and, and wipe people's eyes away from the truth. Or maybe further on, you're like, actually, I think there might be something about this Jesus. Or maybe further on again, it might be that you think Jesus is the true and living God, wherever you are on that spectrum. The most important question you can ask is, who is Jesus? For your answer to that question will determine how you view yourself and how you view your past and your present and your future. The answer to that question is the information that will flip the way you view the world. And so it's incredibly important. It's a question that Saul thought he had nailed. After all, he was the Jew of Jews. He had everything sorted. He was so zealous for the name of God. He thought Jesus was a fraud and a sham. But then the twist happens. The hunter becomes the hunted. Paul is, Saul is traveling up the road to Damascus, the modern day Syria, fuming, ready to do the Lord's work when this happens. Verse three, look with me. A light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, first thing to note, this is not a normal experience, right? This is not something we should expect when we're walking down the road to get some uh, sushi from the sushi train, right? It's not something we should expect to hear some voice from heaven and everyone go, oh yeah, that's, that's normal. That kind of goes on normally. This is abnormal and why Luke has recorded it. It is not normal to have God or some voice out of anywhere speak to us. But we know that it actually happened. We know this isn't just a, a kind of made up story because Luke, remember, he's a, he's a medical doctor. He's into research and facts. He records in verse 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 7. Sorry, he records in verse 7 the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. See, this vision. Saul had on on the road to Damascus wasn't just a private vision. It wasn't just a private word, like he heard some words in his head that no one else heard around him. It wasn't one of those things like the visions of Muhammad, of of Islam, or or the visions of of Joseph Smith, where where they had private revelations from God, and God told them what to write down, and they wrote it down, and there it was. They're not testable. Those truths, you can't kind of test them against anything. How do we know that actually was that vision? How do we know God said that? But here, With Saul, those around him actually heard it. It's one of the things you find with Christianity, that Christianity draws a line in the sand that says, actually, these events went on in history. You can test them. You could go and ask the people that heard it. The people said, yes, we heard this sound. but We're like, where did it come from? We didn't see anything. The events of Christianity actually happened and they were public. And in fact, Saul, who became Paul later on, would say about the resurrection of Jesus, there are over 500 people who viewed his resurrection from the dead, who've seen him, and they're still alive today. In other words, go and ask them at the time of writing, go and check this, it's, it's verifiable. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's response is like, who are you, Lord? Right? And that's the kind of response that you, you get at that point. Now, Lord, at this point, it doesn't mean God. Sometimes people go, oh, look, he says, who are you, Lord? It means that he recognized that it was God speaking to him. But Lord is just like saying, sir. It's like, who, who are you, sir? Why would you use sir? Well, when you hear a booming voice and you're freaked out, you don't go, ah, shut up, right? No one does that. You're like, whoa, who, who, who is this? There's a level of respect here. Not like you're going to have a, a casual chat, but Saul is, is freaking out. If you ever see a massively bright light and hear a huge voice speaking to you, here's a tip. <laughs> Don't just have the casual chat. Actually think what is going on. Sometimes I, I hear people say, you know, I wish God would show up today. I wish God would speak to me like he spoke to Saul and make himself known. <laughs> I kind of wonder, do you really? Do you really want God to turn up and speak into your life and show all of the, the flaws and the brokenness? And the shame that we have, recognizing that He knows all and sees all. He knows every thought we've ever had and everything we've ever done and what our hearts are like. Do you want Him to show up and clearly expose to the world the reality of what I and you are like? Now, coming face to face with the true and living God is incredibly scary. For He knows all and He knows us. In verse 5, we hear the twist. Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, Saul is the man that has been orchestrating the killing of as many Christians as possible. People who who think that Jesus was the promised Jewish king, the Messiah. People who think that Jesus rose from the dead. Saul was the one who was persecuting them. Was saying, you're you're ridiculous. This is dumb. I want you wiped off the planet. You're profaning the name of God. And then now, he comes face to face with a risen Jesus himself. It's like, oh snap. <laughs> He's alive. Can you imagine how he'd feel? Why are you persecuting me? As you think about that, Saul hadn't been persecuting Jesus, had he? I mean, he, didn't, he thought Jesus was dead. He'd been persecuting those who followed Jesus. And there's an important thing to see here with Christianity in that those who trust Jesus, are those who are with Jesus, and even better than that, those who Jesus is with. See, there's this solidarity between Jesus and His people. To persecute Jesus' people is to persecute Him. You mess with Christians, you mess with Jesus. That's what He's saying. He's not just some distant deity off in the sky. Although He's seated at the right hand of the Father and will come back again to judge the living and the dead, Jesus is intimately involved with each of us who trust in Him. He feels the pains and the suffering that we, that we go through. And, and as, as the world around us persecutes Christians for holding out the name of Jesus, Jesus says, don't worry, they're not just persecuting me, you, they're persecuting me as well. That means, friends, you cannot love Jesus and not love His people. You cannot love Jesus and not love His people. You can't treat his people wrongly or or harshly. And you can't say, no, I want nothing to do with you. I'm just all about Jesus. We're called into community to love and care for one another, speaking the truth in love, pointing out the truth in love, walking alongside one another. You cannot love Jesus and not love his church. Well, coming face to face with the risen Lord Jesus is the biggest plot twist moment that Saul has ever seen in his life. It's a revelation that would change everything. Can, can you imagine what it would have meant for a man so committed to stamping out Christianity to meet the Christ himself? I want not you put yourself in his shoes at this moment? He's not dead. What have I been doing? I've been seeing people stoned to death for the sake of God's name, and now I work out Jesus is God. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the hurt of what you've done and realising what you were like to actually do this. In a flash of light, Paul's life, effort and work has been shown for a sham. Jesus is alive. He is who he said he was. The very God Saul had dedicated his entire life to protecting and loving and proclaiming was the very God Saul was persecuting. Listen to what he says later on in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, if you think you're good enough for God, if you think that you, you've been doing good things for God, let me show you what you're like. <laughs> I, Saul, was circumcised on the eighth day, just like a good Jew should be. Of the nation of Israel, I'm an Israelite, I'm, I'm from the promised people of God, the tribe of Benjamin, great tribe, right? A Hebrew, born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, a Pharisee. In other words, he knew the law inside out. He was like a theological college propeller head. He knew it all. Regarding zeal, yeah, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is the law, blameless. He was like the Jew of Jews. He had, he had it all sorted. If there was a model poster boy for Jewish Jewishness, <laughs> it was him. But listen to what he says in verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. (laughs) Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, literally manure, poo. Saul thought he was a freedom fighter, but found out he was a terrorist. He was a terrorist towards the true and living God. Imagine working that out. Imagine how he would have felt his entire life's work spent in rebellion to the God he was trying to serve. Luke tells us that for three days he he remained blind and couldn't see. But Luke also tells us that he he didn't eat or drink during those three days. I don't think that's because he was sick because of the blindness. I think it's because he was sick to his stomach at who he was, as God had shown him what he had done. The realisation that he had been persecuting the true and living God, that he was a terrorist toward the true and living God, struck him so he could not eat for three days. Imagine that. Imagine the moment of working out you are a terrorist towards God. Friends, what we find out as we come to the Scriptures is that's exactly what you and I are, or maybe what we were. Each of us, in our own efforts, have turned our backs on the true and living God. We've, We've been living for ourselves, not for Him. We've worshipped and chased all sorts of other things, rather than the true and living God. And until we recognise that Jesus is God and only He is worthy of our worship, All the efforts that we do, everything that we have, even the good we do in our life's work, is manure because we're terrorists. We're doing it in rebellion against the true and living God. You might come up with the the cure for cancer. You might lead the biggest humanitarian aid organization in this country. You might even just end up being a, a good mom or a good dad or a good son or a good daughter, but unless. We come to Jesus and recognize He is the King of the universe. He is the God that made you and me. Then everything we've ever done, even with good intentions, is repulsive to Him. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that, that you're a sailor. Right? The best sailor in the world. Kind of got this awesome sailor's outfit. You can walk along on the deck and whistle a sailor tune. I don't know what that is. You can work that out. You know, you're an amazing sailor. In fact, you don't need GPS to navigate. You can look at the stars. You've got an encyclopedic knowledge of the stars, and you can navigate by the stars. And, and you always get to your destination faster than everyone else, quicker before everyone else. You're an amazing navigator. But not only that, you're an amazing boss. You're the, you're the captain of the ship. And, and to all the other crew members, they love you. You, you provide them with great food and, and lavish feasts, and there's a great kind of morale on the board of the ship. You care for one another on the ship and you look out for those that are sick and you you help them get back to health. You're an amazing sailor, the best sailor the world has ever seen. Everyone loves you. As you kind of look at yourself at that position on the deck of that ship, you're like, yeah, it's a pretty good life. That's, That's doing pretty good stuff. But then the camera pans back. And as it pans back, it sees the mast. And on top of the mast, it sees a flag that's being flown. And on that flag is a skull and crossbones. So you could be the best sailor in the world, but if you are sailing a pirate ship, then all the good you do on the deck of that ship is actually in rebellion against the authorities that exist. It's saying, screw you to the world around. I'm in control. I don't submit to your authority. I don't think there are any other kings. I am a law unto myself. So it is with us, friends. On the deck of the ship called Earth, we can do so many good things that seem great to the world around us. But if we are doing them, in rebellion to the true and living God, not recognizing that Jesus is king, then we're terrorists towards God. And even the good we do is offensive to Him because we're doing it in rebellion from Him. Saul, even while he was trying to please God with the best intentions, ended up being a terrorist toward God. So too we, even with the best intentions, if we don't recognize Jesus, are living in rebellion against the true and living God. Just think about your life. Think about the actions that you do and and, and who you live for and what what you live for and where God fits in that picture. For for most of us on our own two feet, as we are naturally, we, we don't want God in our lives until we hit rock bottom and we work out we need Him. Coming face to face with Jesus changed everything for Saul. Changed his whole view of the world. Recognized that Jesus was the true and living God. So coming face-to-face with Jesus for us today changes everything. We don't need a blinding light. In fact, it wasn't the blinding light that changed Saul, but it was hearing the news that Jesus is alive. Well, friends, that same news is proclaimed from God's Word and from Christian churches across the globe. Jesus died and rose again. And if He rose again, that means he's he's alive. He is God, the Son. And he's the ruler over all and will come back to judge the living and the dead. That news has a profound effect for you and for me. No matter where you end up, you've got to make a choice on what you do with that news. But to accept it means we need to admit that we are not king. That we, that we are wrong. And we hate doing that. I hate admitting that I'm wrong. Right? Don't you? Don't you, you know, who gets up in the morning and goes, yes, looking forward to telling my friends I was wrong today? no one says that we want to be right right? it's the way that we are but coming to this reality that jesus rose again means that i am not the ruler of this world nor my life i am not god i am not in control of anything and i need to admit that i've turned my back on him so let me ask you tonight what is it that you are hunting Saul was hunting Christians. He thought that was the right thing and the right way to p- pursue life. You might not be hunting Christians yourself. Maybe you are. <laughs> but maybe for you, it's, it's something like pleasure. That your life is spent hunting pleasure or, or satisfaction or, or a great career or a great reputation or, or the good life or sex and pleasure. What is it that you are hunting, that you are living for? You might even be hunting the perfect Christian life, going, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm going to know as much as I can so I can articulate so many theological concepts that people go, yes, you have the best encyclopedic knowledge of, of God's Word. You're amazing. <laughs> but you haven't let the Word of God or God Himself shape or change your life. Jesus is not your King. Oh, we're so good at being deceptive, so good at putting on an outside facade that we've got life together, but underneath, not trusting the King. What Saul find, found out was that the hunter was being hunted. God sought him out. He was trying to bring out Christians and, and, and rat them out and get rid of Christianity. But God came to him. Saul didn't seek God. He didn't seek Jesus say, Jesus, if you're there, come to me. No, no, no. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Saul was trying to do everything against Jesus. And God came down and said, you. And for you tonight that might be exactly what's going on for you. God might be showing up tonight in this word that he has written, showing you your rebellion against him, showing you what you are like without him and that he is king and showing you the true identity of Jesus. Friends, tonight, if you are hearing God's voice, do not turn down his word. Do not turn down the volume or or, or kind of push away the part of your conscience that's telling you to come to the true and living God. Come and embrace the reality of who we are, broken sinners, terrorists towards God naturally, but people who've been offered forgiveness and life because of Jesus' death in our place. Come and embrace the reality of who Jesus is. Don't stand back. And that's when we hear in this passage about the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus, named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Now, the first thing you notice when you meet this guy, Ananias, is the difference in response he has towards God's voice than Saul did. Saul's like, who are you, sir? Right? Ananias, here I am. There's just a difference in the way knowing the identity of Jesus makes. Ananias recognized that Jesus was king. He trusted him and he heard his voice and said, here I am. I'm ready. Let's giddy up. Let's go. He was ready to respond to the word of God. And listen to what God said. Verse 11, chapter 9. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he's praying there. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he might regain his sight. Now at this moment, I want to put you to you put yourself in Ananias' shoes. Saul, I've heard this name before. He's the Christian killer. You what? You want me to go to the house he's at and touch him? Put my hand on him and, and pray for him? Uh, l- listen to what he says in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The word of God comes to Ananias, and despite his fear, he listens to his king. That's what it is like to have Jesus your king. Not to have life sorted and be perfect and be like, yep, no worries. He's like, this is scary, but okay. He doesn't go, nah, that's a dumb idea, God. I mean, <laughs> that's what you'd be saying. I think this is dumb. God, I, have you really got this right? You really want me to go and talk to this guy? But he trusts God's word. This man is my chosen instrument. And, and what God says next should ring some bells about God's plan throughout Acts if you've been with us the whole way through. Do you remember Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said this before he ascended into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. God promised in Acts 1 that these apostles would share the news of Jesus and would go to the ends of the earth, not just the Jews, like it happened with Judaism, but to Um, the Samaritans, and then to the Gentiles, to the nations. And what we hear here is that God has a plan to take His word to the nations through the biggest Christian hater the world had ever seen. You're like, what? Why would God choose Him? Because it's not about Him. It's about the God who uses Him. And so God is saying He's going to use this man Saul to take this message to the ends of the earth. And it's part of the plan of the book of Acts. God has a plan, and He's sticking to it. But what comes next is the hard part for Ananias. Imagine him. Oh, where is straight, Street? Google Earth? you know, Looking up on your maps. Oh, is there a long way to go? <laughs> Thinking about, I'm about to walk into the house of the biggest Christian hater in the world. Why would you do that? Why would you walk in and obey this word? I'll tell you why. Because the God that you trust is more powerful than anyone has ever seen or can imagine. He is the God who spoke and creation came into being. Let there be light. He's the God who's in control of the universe and whose plans always work. And so Ananias trusts the word of our Lord. Verse 17. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hand on him and said, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me to you so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul. Can you imagine those words coming here? Can you imagine saying them? This is the guy that's probably killed part of your family and your friends and your, your Christian brothers and sisters. He walks into the house of the biggest Christian hater and says to him, Brother Saul. In verse 26, a little later in the chapter, Saul meets the disciples in Jerusalem, but they're all afraid. They're freaked out by him. But Ananias walks into his house. Brother Saul. See, Saul has experienced the forgiveness of God. It had nothing to do with him, with his worthiness, with his skill set. Actually, he came to Christ because of Stephen. You're like, what? Do you remember Stephen as he was was dying? Uh, in, In Acts 7 verse 60, Stephen is being stoned to death, and he falls at the feet of those stoning him and says these words, Acts 7, verse 60. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Just two chapters later, God answered Stephen's prayer with a yes, and chose the man who was standing there and says, I'm not going to hold his sin against him. I'm going to reveal myself to him and bring him to myself and use him to take the message of Jesus to the end of the earth. Man, God listens to our prayers. He does not promise to always answer them with a yes. But here, wow, Stephen prayed, God acted and brought Saul back to life. So Ananias at this point, whose name means God is gracious, God is generous, he doesn't hold Saul's sin against him. To the man that was responsible for so many murders, he says, brother Saul. Friends, as, as long as we as a church keep speaking of the news of God's forgiveness, that Jesus died in our place and rose again, we are always going to have people amongst us that have heard us, that have said and done things to our family, to our friends, to even us, who then will call brothers and will call sisters. And we'll spend an eternity with them. That is the great joy because we are people that God has brought from rebellious terrorists to part of God's family. See, the forgiveness of Jesus necessitates the forgiveness of others. It has to. If we've been forgiven, how can I not forgive another? If we are forgiven terrorists to God and God can forgive you and I, then how can we hold back forgiveness on others? Brother Saul, verse 17 the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the deposit, right? Guaranteeing that he's a Christian, that God's spirit is dwelling in him. He has put his trust in Jesus. And at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and got up and was baptized. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. Wow. Wow. Friends, the news of Jesus can change anybody, anybody. Saul, the the Christian killer, becomes Paul, the one who takes the gospel to the nations. He becomes God's instrument to take the news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And we get to read his letters today. And for many of us, we've come to trust Jesus through the message written down by Paul himself. So don't put anyone in a box Jesus can't reach. Don't look at the world around us and say, nah, you're too far gone. You're not like that Christian type. You're not going to be one of those people who come along and trust Jesus. You're not good enough, <laughs> as if we were. <laughs> and look at us. There's nothing glorious about who we are. Paul says, I was the Jew of Jews. I was, I was greater than them all. But all of that is done. Don't put yourself in a box that you think Jesus can't touch. Maybe for you, you know your path. You know the things you've said and done and what has gone on in your world and you think, man, I've done too much. God can't love me. There's no way I need to bother with this. I'm I'm too wrong. I once had a friend, a really good friend of mine. I used to work with her and I invited her to my wedding and you know, she said to me, look, I'd love to come to your wedding but I'm just afraid that if I walk into church God will bring it down on top of me. Seriously. I'm like, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Come and find out. I don't think he will. (laughs) She didn't come. Do not, do not hold what you have done as so large that you think God can't forgive you. He forgave Saul. Well, what does that mean for us today? First, recognize God is the one who brings us to him. God is the one that reaches out and brings Saul back to himself. So pray. Pray. <laughs> Pray for your friends and family like Stephen did at that point. Don't hold their sin against them. Lord, bring them to yourself. Pray because God is the one that brings people from death to life. Secondly, nothing that you have done is bigger than God's love. Do remember that. God's shown His love at the cross. Jesus died for you. If He can forgive Saul, He can forgive you. Thirdly, don't ever give up on anyone else. Uh, when I did an apprenticeship at our local church um, before I went into kind of theological college and then ministry after that, um, the guy that trained me came from a, a household that wasn't Christian. And uh, one of the things we used to do was pray for his dad, who, who didn't trust Jesus. His mum and his dad, really. Uh, his dad's a very learned man; was kind of publishing articles in the Australian Financial Review, uh, and people—he's very kind of well-respected uh, person. And um, and we'd pray for him each week that God would bring him uh, to, to know himself, that Jesus would come into his life. And he just seemed harder and harder and harder. And literally, this was like 20 years ago. And just two months ago, uh, my friend who trained me sent me a video. I'm like, oh, what's this? Some crazy cat video, right? And I open it up. And his dad has got Parkinson's disease and started to recognize the futility of life. And it's a video of, my, my trainer and his dad, and he's just filming it on, on his camera to himself uh, with his dad sitting next to him. He says, dad, what do you think happens when we die? And his dad says, we need—we all come before God to be judged. And what is, wh- what is your hope that will happen on that day? And his dad said, that because I trust that Jesus died in my place and has risen again, that I will live forever with him. Now, to be honest, I thought there's no way in the world that my friend's dad would become a Christian been praying for so long. He's getting so much toward the end of his life. But God brought him in. Friends, do not give up praying. Do not give up sharing and speaking the truth of Jesus to those around you. And finally, Saul spent 3 nights and 3 days in darkness, reflecting on who he was and who Jesus is. It makes me wonder do we need more time for reflection? More time to let the reality of who we are, sink in. Perhaps what we need is to spend some time reflecting on what God has said to each of us tonight, that without Him, we are terrorists toward God. We deserve death and judgment and separation from God's goodness forever. We don't deserve to be alive this very second because we're saying to God, stuff you. Have you spent time reflecting on what you are naturally like? Have you... Spent time reflecting on the reality that even all the good deeds you do apart from Jesus mean nothing if he's not your king. And then have you spent time reflecting on how amazing it is that broken people like you and me could be forgiven by the God who made us and the God we've turned our backs on? Friends, recognizing the depth of our brokenness helps us to recognize how amazing God's graciousness and love is. What an amazing God, that he would die in our place and rise again. Do you need to spend time reflecting on the wonderful forgiveness of Jesus? And perhaps, do we need time to reflect on accepting the apology of a brother or sister? To reflect on the way Ananias walks in and says, Brother Saul, do we need to spend time reflecting on forgiving the wrongs of a brother or sister? Because Jesus has accepted us. And it's my hope that as we hear this message today, it has a profound effect on all of us. For those of us who trust Jesus to say, yes, he is my all. There's nothing I can add. There's nothing I can do. I'm going to keep trusting him and sharing the news of him with the world around us. And I'm going to forgive those who hurt me. And I'm going to recognize that Jesus has paid the price and welcome ugly sinners like me in. Is that you tonight? Or perhaps for you, it's it's seeing for the first time how ugly each of us really are to God and going, I need His salvation. Don't turn that message down. Don't say no to your conscience pricking you to say, come to Him. Come to the Savior and trust Him. Won't you join me as we pray? Let's pray together and ask God to captivate us by Jesus. Father God, we are so, so thankful that You don't treat us right now at this moment as we deserve. That that You've allowed us to have more time so that we could come and and hear the message of Jesus and trust you, would you please help us to keep seeing Jesus is the King overall? Help us to see the confidence that comes from that isn't anything to do with how good we are, but how amazing you are and your forgiveness in your Son. Lord, would you show us our brokenness and help us to see the greatness of your forgiveness. Help us to plumb the depths of how amazing you are and therefore to share that message with the world around us to forgive others and to ask for forgiveness ourselves. And Father, for those of us that tonight have heard your voice clearly, we ask that you'd help us to take you at your word and trust you, to put Jesus as our King and so live that life that honors him for your glory and for the joy of serving you rightly. Pray this in Jesus' name.